Well, uh, good morning. Just out of curiosity, uh, anybody here today um, primarily because of Old Timers Weekend? All right, cool. Well, thanks for being here. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Old Timers Weekend, um, it, it causes us to remember and reflect, to give honor to um, that which others have given before us, right? So we're here right now um, doing what we're doing and enjoying the things that we enjoy, whether it be in our community. Um, I'll get to our church body in just a second. But uh, what, what is going on today stands on the foundation laid by those that came before us, right? So with Old Timers Weekend, it's not, it's not just a gathering of, of people that are familiar with Harrison or have some kind of special connection to Harrison, it's like a, what, what in some places they'll call a Founder's Day. It's like a, a gathering to remember what, what has gone on before, um, the, what others have invested in order that we may be able to enjoy the present. And, um, and so as we, as we think about that, we just can't help but at us here at Harrison Community Baptist Church cannot help but to think about um, what has come before us. Uh, I think it is, um, it is, it is mind-blowing and phenomenal. Uh, it is such a, a testimony to the power of Christ and the power of His Word that there is a, a church in this church body in this community that is about 125 years old that is still wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. We're not just trying to keep the doors open. We're not just trying to preserve a beautiful building. Um, we're not just trying to, to squeak it by and stay alive. We, we are as li- alive today in Christ as we have ever been as the body of Christ and because of the faithfulness of those who have come before us. So lest we think that we showed up and did this all on our own, it is by the power of God through Christ our Savior that others who have come before us in their devotion to Christ have made, given us the opportunity to be able to continue on that legacy. And I think that is just a phenomenal testimony um, to, to the Word of God and to the power of the cross. And, um, you know, for about, for about 125 years, this, this church has been, has been uh, teaching the Word of God gathering to worship our incredible Savior, uh, preaching the gospel message, which I'll get into here in just a moment, and, uh, and calling people to their Savior. And, um, and we're here today because of, really, the blood, sweat, tears, sacrifices, and devotion of others. And my hope and my prayer is that after us, others will be able to say, Thank you, Lord, for those who have come before us. Uh, you know, as I uh, as we listen to, uh, as we read, you know, read read the news or listen to the news or or even just gather the chatter of the day, it is so often pointing the fingers at those who have come before us and talking about how they've screwed it up for us. <laughs> and and to be fair, we have all had our share in messing things up along the way. Every generation. Uh, has, has their issues that they bring into it. But we, we really need to stay, take stock in how did we get here because we have so much to be thankful for. And, um, and so let us make sure that we give thanks to that for those who have come before us. But there's a truth um, that's, even, that's far older than our old timers. Imagine that. Far older than our heritage that goes back 125 years. Um, far, far older than the founding of our nation even. Which to us seems like forever and in, in, in the grand scope of world history is barely even a dot on the map. Um, there's something far older than all of it that all of us stand on. A foundation that has been laid um, that, that extends well beyond our, our heritage here in Harrison, and, um, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is upon the gospel of Jesus Christ that we join with 
those who have come before us. That we join with those who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 for their, for their incredible persevering faith in Christ. We join with all the saints of all the ages because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we use that term quite a lot, gospel, the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot because we love the gospel, we cherish the gospel, we cling to the gospel, we, we seek to preserve, uphold, and promote the gospel. Um, but if you listen, um, everyone who says the gospel does not quite mean the same thing. And so what I want to do today is to look to the Word of God to see what is it that we mean when we say the gospel. You know, when, we, when I use that language here among you, and hopefully when we use that language uh, as the body of Christ here in Harrison, when we say the gospel, there's, there should be a specific meaning attached to that. It should represent something specific, not fluid, but something that is hard and fast and unchanging. And so what do we mean when we say the gospel? What do we mean here at Harrison when we say the gospel? And more importantly, what does the Word of God mean when it says the gospel? Because the word uh, gospel is used over a hundred times in Scripture. And then there are even some variations of that that are used beyond that. So as the Word of God speaks to the gospel, what does God mean? And I think that is far more important than what we've come up with. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that is our aim, and I think that is one of the reasons that this church body has such an incredible testimony and strength of presence in this community is because the one question that we keep asking is, does God say that? Right? Does God say that? Not in the same way the serpent said it in the garden, but what we are seeking is the truth. Right? Whatever we've grown up believing, whatever others tell us we ought to believe, what our main concern is, is does God say that? And so as we seek that truth to stand on, it, it continues to help us walk in the steps of our Lord. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 with me today. This is going to be sort of, sort of home base, at least the place that we're going to springboard off of. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God Himself, writes this, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Apostle Paul, right out of the gate as he writes to believers in Rome, he right out of the gate he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does Paul mean when he says the gospel? Well, the word gospel in and of itself, it gets translated into our English gospel. What it means is uh, good tidings. Um, it's a good message. It's a good news. It is something that is good. But to really, to use the word in English, good, uh, it, it, it really, I think, just kind of sucks the life out of what it really is. The word good in our English language cannot do justice to what gospel really means. In fact, I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is a, in Luke's gospel, the account of the birth of Christ. Now there was an announcement from heaven declaring this gospel. Um, and even though most likely in your, your translation, uh, the word will not be translated gospel, it will be translated good news or good tidings, it is in, in its original language, it is connected to what, what most of the New Testament is translating as gospel. And so let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. You guys have heard about the shepherds. Uh, in the account of the birth of Christ, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
Now, this is no small thing that's happening here with the shepherds. I mean, this, is, this brings actually a remembrance of what happens back in Isaiah chapter 6 when the glory of the Lord is present with Isaiah and he just says, I'm going to completely come apart because of the presence and the holiness of God. And here we have God present with, through, uh, with the shepherds. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. R- rightly so, in likeness to Isaiah, back in Isaiah 6, that their response to the presence of the glory of God is fear. Now these are dudes that, they, these are rough dudes. The shepherds are rough guys. You, you don't get to be a shepherd by, um, by being a weenie. If, if you're a weenie, shepherding is not for you. Because you have to do hard stuff all day long, in the middle of the night. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You don't get to like clock in at 8 and clock out at 5 and then go home and prop your feet up by your air conditioner. That's, that was not shepherding. Um, we, we had a, a, just a small taste of this. So, you know, we live right here in Harrison and we have a postage, you know, we live on a postage stamp um, of property here in Harrison, right? But uh, we have some chickens and we love our chickens and we love the eggs that they produce. And uh, quite honestly, it's just, it's, it's just kind of fun and humorous to watch chickens do their thing. Um, they're, they're quite entertaining. But, um, so, uh, we have a little coop for them, you know, safe place for them. But they've decided they really love the summer weather, and they would rather just roost up on top of the chicken coop. Well, after a few days of, of wrangling them back into the coop, I'm like, forget it. You want to roost on top of the coop? That's your biz. All right, so, um, so we've just kind of been like, all right, go for it. Well, the other night, as uh, we were all tucked in bed, and, um, and, and all of a sudden, Sage hears this racket outside. The chicken coop just explodes. And she goes outside to see an owl standing over one of our hens. And uh, uh, sorry if you don't like the gruesome details. This is just life. I mean, <laughs> this is North Idaho. I'm sorry if you're not used to it. It's just what is around here. Um, it, I, it, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. We're sad for our hen. We love our hens. But... Um, this is what happens, and, and so her and the dog went out, and, and uh, that owl did not want to let go of his catch uh, at all, but, um, but she was able to, to get the owl off of him, and then, um, believe it or not, the hen's still alive, barely, we thought, but uh, she's in rough shape, but we're kind of nursing her back to health, uh, but, you know, this was at like, you know, I don't know, a little before one o'clock in the morning, 12.30, something like that. But when you have livestock and that kind of stuff happens, it doesn't matter if you're ready to sleep. It doesn't matter if you put in a long day already. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've been going nonstop and you're on the back end of haying season where you just want to like lay in the shade and drink some iced tea for once. It, it doesn't really matter because your job is to care for your livestock and when duty calls, it, you have to be Johnny on the spot. And um, so... So the shepherds, this is their life. This is their lifestyle that they have among the sheep. And yet when they're confronted with the glory of God, they they just crumble. The presence of God. So this is a big thing that happens in Luke's Gospel. And the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. What is the good news? When we say good news, I got good news today. Well, good news can be anything from a good prognosis from the doctor um, to uh, my taxes are less than I thought they were going to be to um, I didn't have trouble finding a parking spot. I mean, we, we, we might use that for a smattering of things that are both really lightweight and heavy. Um, things that are very meaningful and things that are not meaningful at all, right? 
But when the angels say, we bring you good news, this is, this is a pronouncement of, this isn't just good news, uh, like one good news among many. This is the ultimate news of the history of the world that's happening at this one moment in time. This good news is far exceeding any other good news that could possibly be given at any time or place in the history of creation. And so this is ultimate news that the angels bring to the shepherds. And what is this good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The good news is that God has come from heaven to earth to rescue mankind from sin and darkness and death. This has never been heard ever before this. That, 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 God ha- that a God would reach out from heaven to earth and do this for His people. But God Almighty reached down from heaven to earth and brought a Savior to rescue and redeem all of those who were trapped in sin and death and darkness and the hopelessness of, of an eternity of facing God's judgment. There never has been and never will be a message that exceeds that one. The only one that will compete with it will be the announcement, the trumpet blast of the announcement of the return of Christ our Lord. Unto you, the angel says, God, His intimate and ultimate gift for all people. Romans chapter 1 Back to Romans 1.16. The Apostle Paul says that it is the power of God for salvation. The Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Echoing the angel's good news. Or, if you want to get it in someone else's words, we could look at John. John's Gospel. John 3.16, which Perhaps you have even committed to memory. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that He came from heaven to earth. He sent His Son to die in our place to receive His own judgment in our stead. Now the true story for everyone here and everyone that's come before us and everyone that will come after us is that we betray and rebel against the Almighty God who created us and who loves us. Every single one of us. You know, we tend to think that we deserve things, right? We deserve good things. We, we, most of us are very good at giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. It's just what is. That's just kind of our, that's, that's, that's just our default mode. We, th- we think we deserve a day off. We think we deserve a vacation. We think we deserve a pay raise. We think we deserve respect. We think we deserve happiness. We think we deserve a good life. We deserve all kinds of stuff at least in our own mind, but the reality is what we truly deserve above all of that is the eternal judgment of God. When it boils down to what do we deserve, what we really deserve is God's judgment for our rebellion and betrayal of Him. None of us can stand before God and say that we're not guilty. Not a one of us. In fact, Romans chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, 
the, the law was given previous to this, God's law, and, and people, some people actually had the thought that maybe if I can do good enough with it, um, that, 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 I will be a, um, that God will accept me into his kingdom. In fact, we still, we still have um, uh, believers today who, um, who operate out of an idea that, that I, I know I need Jesus, but, but if I don't jump through these hoops, I, I may not get in. And, um, and so we look to the Word of God to find out what is truth. Because the, the cross is the very thing that all this hinges on, not our good works. There, there is no amount of good things that we can contribute or, or cover up on our... You know, when you were a kid and, and you were told to clean your room, did you ever grab a handful of stuff and tuck it somewhere just out of sight? Like under your bed, behind a door, in the back of a closet, behind your pillow. I don't know where your secret spot is that your parents already know about, uh, that you think you're hiding. But wherever your secret spot is, with God there is, no, there is no place that we can hide our sin under. We can't hide it under a blanket of good works, that we've lived a good life, that we've tried to do good by other people, that we've tried to be a person of integrity, that, that we have given of ourselves sacrificially. There are, are no amount of things that we can pile over the top of our sin to conceal it from God. In fact, Scripture says that we are all laid naked before Him. All of our sin is exposed to Him. And so, Apostle Paul says that righteousness has come now not by the law and and the good things that we can do, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The language is all-inclusive. There is only one whom the Scriptures say was sinless. And it is the very one who laid down his life for ours. Verse 24, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is perfect in all His ways and He is perfect in justice as He is perfect in love and grace and mercy. And the perfection of His justice requires that every sin is brought into account, right? If, if you're an accountant, um, you could be the world's best accountant and, and there will still be things which you could improve upon. But God's accounting is perfect. There is nothing unaccounted for before God. There, are, there, there will be no wrong that goes unaccounted for in God's, in God's judgment. And so it says that he might be just. That is, that that his accounting is zeroed out at the end of the day. At the end of the age, when God judges the living and the dead, the account balance is zero. That is, every sin will be paid for. But look at this. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's justice is fulfilled For those who believe, God's justice, the requirement of His justice against sin is fulfilled in Christ. That is, you will not bear the load of of bringing God's account to zero by receiving His judgment and wrath against your sin. Christ has stepped in and received it on your behalf. So, in other words, um, if God didn't do that, if God didn't send His Son into the world to give Himself as a sacrifice for us, then we would really have no hope of anything except 
His wrath. His judgment. All the talk about heaven would just be talk. It's what makes the angel's announcement so incredible. It has changed history. It is earth-shattering. God came from heaven to earth to take our eternal punishment. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, to bear the wrath against our sin so that Jesus Christ could present us to God in righteousness. Not because you and I had it. Righteousness means that there is a, a, a moral and spiritual perfection that meets God's standard. And the only way for us to meet that standard is for Christ to take His righteousness and make it ours. In other words, as we stand before God, it comes judgment time, that judgment looks at the, the nature of who we are and Christ has given us that, that nature, the new nature of life, which has received forgiveness and which reflects the righteousness of Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would obtain that righteousness. Not that we deserved it. So we're sinners. And I don't say that with like a finger wagging. We, me, me and you, we are in the very same boat. There is no distinction to what Romans says. There's no difference. You grew up in church, you didn't grow up in church. You've tried really hard to honor God, you haven't tried really hard to honor God. Whatever you come from and whatever your history is, we are all in the very same boat that you and I have offended and sinned against God and we deserve His wrath. And the only way that we may avoid the wrath of God and obtain the life of God is through Jesus Christ. You know, the question arises as we, as we think about what God has done through Christ is how do we obtain this? How do we receive this? Well, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is not the first time this question's been asked. So as the, as the apostles were sharing the word of God and telling about what Jesus Christ had done, that God sent his son and that Jesus Christ gave his life um, for sinners, Here's what happened, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they being those who were listening, um, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart by it. I mean, you, get a, you, you probably understand, uh, though I don't know if I can put a great definition to it, you probably understand what cut to the heart means. Um, it, it, it strikes a place in you that, that so moves you, and in this case, so moves them because they're having a, a realization of their sin before a holy and righteous God and of the, of the uh, weight of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're having their eyes open to, and their understanding opened to this. That they are sinners who deserve God's wrath. There is no escape from God's wrath. And yet, God has sent His Son to die in their place to take His wrath upon Him so that they could escape His judgment and be reunited with Him. They are cut to the heart by this message. Overwhelmed with probably a mix of guilt over their own sin, 
uh, being terrified of God's judgment, being overwhelmed with a a deep sorrow uh, and mixed with gratitude that a Savior would give Himself for them, they are cut to the heart. And they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do with this? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them what they're to do with that. And he says, there there are three things that we see happen here that are necessary for us to receive this gift from God. The first one is what we see in their response, that they're cut to the heart. The first one is that we're brokenhearted over our own sin and over the idea that a Savior would give himself on our behalf. That we are what the Bible calls a contrite spirit, a broken heart. That, that something inside of us breaks with an understanding of our guilt before God. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever had a moment in your life where you had a very good friend whom you betrayed with a word or uh, shared something that, that they had shared with you in confidence and you shared it with someone else and there's a moment where you realize what you did and it crushes you. That's, that gives you an idea of the type of brokenheartedness or contrite spirit that we're talking about. So the first one is a brokenheartedness over our sin and over Christ's sacrifice. And the second thing is what Peter says. Repentance. A turning away of our um, godless life, our godless living. A turning, turning away of living for ourselves. Whatever we were doing before we came to Christ, this is a turning away from that and a turning towards Christ for the rest of our life. In fact, the message is, turn away from this crooked generation. That we're to turn away from that. And the third thing is this, which is reflected when he says to repent and be baptized. Baptism, um, in and of itself, what baptism does is to communicate, to put on display what, is, what God has, has done inside here, that we identify with, with God putting our old self to death and bringing us new life in Him. You'll remember that term from John chapter 3, being born again. That's what we're talking about, that God gives us new life because we are dead in our sins. And as Christ was, had died on our behalf to pay our Pay the, be the sacrifice for our sins and rose again to new life. In baptism, we identify with that as we display that we have believed in Christ and, our, and whoever the old man was, that Todd was, is going to death and coming up in new life in Christ, now belonging to God, a member of His family, forever entrusted into His care and devoted to Him. That's the picture of baptism. So what baptism really is all about here as it says be baptized he's not just saying make sure you get wet then you're good that's not that's not what peter is saying what peter is saying is that we are to confess to believe in jesus christ and have a genuine confession of that faith before others and and to identify now with the family of god that we belong to that's what baptism is all about So when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's saying, turn away from your sin. You're brokenhearted over it. You've you've, you've acknowledged the depth of Christ's sacrifice here on your behalf. Now turn away from who you were and walk in the newness of life that God has called you to. Trust Him. Believe in Him. and, and, And now take your part among the family of God. In fact, earlier in Acts, Acts 2.21, it 
says, And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone who comes to God, brokenhearted over their sin and over Christ's sacrifice, who's willing to turn away from who they were and now by faith follow Christ and, and, and take their place now as a member of God's family, this, this is for you. And it doesn't matter where you came from or what you formally did or formally believed. Everyone who calls upon him will be saved. I want to look at a couple more just as we kind of wrap things around here. Romans chapter 10, if you're still in there, turn over to Romans 10, verse 8. Because there is still a detail here that we need to address, and that is, um, if this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is the ultimate earth-shattering news that God has given to mankind, how are people to hear it? Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel. So you and I, there is, God brings us to him through the gospel. And then once we have received this truth by faith, we have surrendered our lives to him. He then entrusts that very message now to us. He entrusts it with us. So we go from being message hearers, message receivers, to message givers. That we now carry the message with us to give to others. Um, you know, a couple times... In this, in this town, we've had a, a water outage, right? And um, if somebody's looking for water, your neighbor's looking for water, and you know where to find it, are you going to withhold that information from them? No, of course not, right? If you know you have somebody, who, a friend, a neighbor, a family, co-worker, who is seeking something good, and you know where that good thing to be found is, and they're desperate for that good thing, and you can point them in the direction of, of obtaining it, of course you're going to tell them where it's at. You know, I mean, we live in a place where, where people are constantly burning firewood to stay warm. How many times has somebody helped you out or helped me out by telling you where there's a tree that can be cut up for firewood so you can keep your family warm? We help each other find the things that we need. There is no greater thing that we need, that anyone needs, than the life-saving power of the good news, the ultimate news of Jesus Christ come to earth to become their Savior, to, that has given His life for them to be their sacrifice. We have been entrusted with that message And when we share that message, there's one, I think, two last things I want to leave you with. One is, how do we share it? Well, First Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says that we're to share that with gentleness and respect. The manner in which we are to share the message of God that has brought us to salvation in Him, 
has brought us to the hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and fellowship with our Father in heaven is that we are to do that on his behalf as his ambassador like he has brought it to us and that is with gentleness and respect. Now there, there is a harshness sometimes to the truth and, and let that be what it is so long as it is brought by the Holy Spirit and not by us. God did not ask us to bring a harshness to the truth he said, bring my truth, let it penetrate like a sword uh, between bone and marrow. Let, let my word do the penetrating. You deliver the message, right? So we bring it with gentleness and respect on behalf of Christ. It is his message. And so I think then as followers of Christ entrusted with this message, we need to then have clear in our minds, what is the message? What is the message that we are to bring to others? I think there are four important things that we need to make sure uh, to preserve the integrity of the message God has entrusted to us. There are four things that, that we need to hold dear to as we're sharing the message with others to steer them towards Christ for salvation. And the first one is God's love. God loves us so incredibly. Beyond any Anybody else, the person that loves you the most in this world, God makes their love look despicable. He loves you with such a perfect and complete love. And there may be some of you who feel like God couldn't love you in your current state or what you've been through or where you've come from, but that is just patently false. That is a lie from Satan himself to convince you that there's no hope for you. But Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you who knew sin and every one of your sins because he loves you. God's love. Second thing that has to be a part of our message is man's sin. There is not a one of us as highly as many of us like to think of ourselves and as hard as we may try, the one thing that we cannot get away from as part of the message that is brought is that we have all fallen short of God and there is no hope of heaven for a single one of us. If the message were to stop there, we all would be left in utter despair and hopelessness. The Apostle Paul said it this way, that if, if, Christ, were not, if Christ did not resurrect and he just stayed in the grave, it basically shows that the cross was nothing that, that the hope that we had is dead. And, and if the only thing we have is to now live out our religion for this life, we are just a, a desperate and, and sad group of people. But he said, Christ has raised from the dead. And our hope is alive. Third thing is this. God's sacrifice for us through Christ. God's love, man's sin, and God's sacrifice. It was God who came from heaven to earth to pay for our sin. We sinned. He is the one who came from heaven to earth to deal with it. Forgiveness, eternal life, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit for those who believe, that God's presence is with those who surrender to Him. And the fourth thing is this, man's confession, repentance, and faith. That is, that once we have received this truth, we respond to it by confessing him genuinely from the depth of who we are, that Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and my Savior. I give thanks to you that you gave yourself for me, and I want to follow you all of my days. And then the fifth thing is this, which we cannot, we cannot take away from that message, and that is that those who believe have a hope now of eternity. We have forgiveness, we have eternal life, and that powerful presence of God to help us through this life and into eternity. So my question to you is, have you called out to Jesus for forgiveness of sin? Have you confessed your faith in Him? Have you been brokenhearted over your sin before God? and called out to him and said, Jesus, save me. Have you done that? Because when we all stand before God, 
I'm not going to be judged by you, and I'm not going to be judged according to your life and your faith or lack of. I'm going to be judged by my faith or by my lack of and by my own sin, whether or not it has been forgiven in Christ or whether or not I still am the owner of that. As are you, as you stand before God when this life is over, will you be found in Christ or will you still be found holding the weight of the guilt of your own sin before a holy and righteous God? Have you surrendered the control of your life to him who has laid down his life for you? Leave these last words to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, Paul says it in Romans, that, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now that we have received Christ by faith and confessed him as our Lord and Savior, we now begin to walk in those good works which he created beforehand that we would walk in them in honor and glory, to his honor and glory and also to the testimony uh, of Christ towards others. This is the message that we've been entrusted to. So when we say gospel around here, we mean that we had no hope and God has given us hope through Christ Jesus our Lord. We mean that we are sinners deserving of his wrath and Christ took God's wrath on our behalf at the cross. We mean that when we, everyone who, who calls on him to be rescued from their sin, to be rescued from his judgment and receive him by faith, that they will receive God's grace instead of his judgment. That's what we mean when we say gospel around here. That's the message that we've been entrusted with. And it's also the very thing that God is calling out to you if you have not responded to him yet in that. God is appealing to you. In fact, God's word says that through us who believe, God is appealing to those who are, who are yet without him, who have not given their life to him, who have not asked him for his forgiveness, who have not sought new life in him. He is appealing to, uh, uh, through us to those people. So if you're one of those folks who have kept God at arm's distance, who have been rejecting Christ along the way, who have said, I'll go this far, but not that far, God is, a, is appealing to you right now, pleading with you. This is your way of escape of his judgment. And he, and he is pleading with you now, take it. Receive it by faith today. I'm going to close in prayer. And, um, and if this would be the, the time where you would give your life to God and ask for his forgiveness, you can... Um, make this a very personal prayer of yours, appealing now to God, come into my life, forgive me, and make me who you created me to be, and give me the hope that I need so desperately. Father, as we come to you in remembrance of your word, in remembrance of all those who have come before us, their faith, the legacy of their faith, and on uh, on whose foundation we stand. Lord, it is all built upon this truth that we hold tightly to 
as if our life depended on it, because it does, and that is that you sent your Son to take our place on the cross. God, there is no amount of thanksgiving that we can give that can adequately um, compare to the gift that you have given. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us from what we could not save ourselves from. Thank you for giving us life when we deserve death. Thank you for giving us hope when there was none to be found for us. And thank you for entrusting to us the very message, Lord, that has brought us into your family. We ask that you would help us to be faithful messengers, so that we carry this message to others who are still desperately seeking eternal life and salvation though they may not yet know what it is that they're looking for. Lord, fill our mouths with these truths that the lost may be found, that the fatherless may now have a home. Lord, we, we ask this all in your Son's name whom you gave in our behalf, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You know, for, uh, for those of us who believe, I would uh, say two things. Um, one, remember where you came from. Old Timers Weekend is, is about that kind of thought. Remember where you came from. Uh, scriptures say, you were once like them, objects of God's wrath deserving his judgment and wrath. And God rescued you through his son, Jesus Christ, and gave you a new hope and a new life, a new purpose, a new reason to live, a word of praise on your mouth to share with others. Uh, don't forget where you came from. We are never beyond hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never, ever. In fact, as believers, we need to know it, know it, hear it, receive it, over and over and over until we get to heaven. Uh, the second part is that, remember, when we're sharing the gospel with others, we're not, we're not imparting theology. We're not imparting doctrine. We're, imp we're, we're delivering salvation in Jesus Christ. God is, is pleading with people to turn to him away from the wickedness of this world, away from, from the destruction of the path that they're on, and to turn to him. And so keep God's heart in it as you share it. And for those of you, if, you're, um, if you have not received Christ, if God is, is cutting you to the heart today with what he has done and with your guilt before him, uh, and you would like to receive his forgiveness and the hope of eternal life today that he offers to you, uh, I'm going to actually stay up here after the service, and I'd, I, I would invite you uh, to come up and talk to me. I want to pray with you and, and just um, encourage you in asking God to make you new, to clean you up, to, to clean out all the sin that you've been holding on to for years and to give you his righteousness, to give you his life, to give you the hope of heaven. And so I would ask you to come up afterwards, and I don't care who you are, young, old, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God. All that matters is he's calling to you and he wants you to come to him. And so would you do that today? Lord, bless and keep you, um, and uh, remember where you came from, church.